How's it? This week, we're joined by Allison Izu Song, the driving force behind local fashion brand Allison Izu. Her mission is to build well-fitting clothing using high-quality materials for women of all shapes and sizes. Allison grew her brand over the last decade, cultivating a loyal local following. As the fashion industry evolved, so did she, including during the COVID era. We chat about the evolution of her brand, their future, and all kinds of entrepreneurship stuff, all over some Pauhana drinks. Please subscribe and rate us. Leave a comment, even if it's to say, the water's wet. Any comment helps. Mahalo plenty and welcome to On The Run. What's up, Allison? Hi, how's it going, Nate? It's going good. Nice to finally meet you. Like, we actually never really met. Um, so, we'll do standard Hawaii protocol since you and I never met. So, okay. name, where are you from, and what high school you went to? <laughs> my name is Allison. I know. I knew that was coming. High school. Um, my name is Allison. Uh, I'm the owner of Allison Izu. I went to Sacred Hearts. Oh, wow. You can put whatever thought you want to put right there. And I saw the thought bubble go. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I I live in Kaimuki right now. <laughs> okay. Well, but did you grow up in Kaimuki? No, I grew up in Hawaii. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. pretty pretty much a, a, a lifetime townie then. Kind of. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Sacred Hearts. Okay. No, no I know. And yeah, yeah. I mean, I, you, it goes either way. You're either like, oh, you're a this or a that from Sacred Hearts. So, actually, fine. you know, <laughs> I I really don't know that many people from from Sacred Hearts, to be quite honest. Where did um, you go? Where did you go to school? Yeah. So I'll do protocol with you since this is okay. for full disclosure for everybody who's listening. We we've never met before. Um, we got contact. We got connected through. Um, uh, who connected us? Aaron. Oh, Aaron. 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 Yeah, Aaron from yep. Chocolea. Um, Chocolea. Yeah, um, connected us. But my name's Nate um, from Hilo, and I went to Waiakea High School. So I'm, okay. a, I'm a Hilo boy. But, you know, it's funny. <laughs> you and I know a lot of people. Like, we have a lot of mutual contacts. In fact, like, half of your photo shoot you just did last week seems to be people I know because I've seen them all posting. Shush! Yeah, so I know oh my God, I well, love Aaron. It. Right, you guys. Yeah. You guys did a photo shoot, Aaron, and then I know Tam, mm-hmm. Tam, Tam, you know, Tam. Oh my God, yeah. that's so funny. Yeah. Small so she world. she did um, Cherry Blossom Festival when I was um, oh the vice president. So she and I, her, Court oh, nice. and I went to um, Japan together. So oh nice. And we've been really good friends oh, wow. ever since. Although I, I don't see them, her and uh, Jordan, I don't see them as much. Obviously now with the pandemic, but right, yeah. right, right. Yeah. So I saw both of them posting pictures and i was like hey i'm I'm having her on next week this is perfect timing yeah that's awesome that's well so before we get started let's dive into and okay well before we get started really before we got started cheers because um cheers it's uh election (laughs) night so yes (laughs) we need lots of alcohol uh, i just took a sip we just decided to make this more of a palhana what are you drinking tonight what do you have, I'm wine? actually drinking white wine, which I don't usually drink white wine, but literally this was the mellowest alcohol I have in the house. If not, I was going straight to vodka. So <laughs> I don't know if it needs to be that kind of podcast. <laughs> no, it, it can be. Last time, last time uh, with Kuhau, we were, I think he had whiskey. 
So, oh my God! I mean, okay. he, we were just casual, but you know, he had whiskey. I mean, I'm I'm drinking yeah. a seltzer. It's been my my quarantine drink lately. It's just trying to nice. trying to watch the calories. Although this thing has a lot of calories, but you know, nice. I'm finding nice. like in my older age, the beer doesn't doesn't work. Like it doesn't. I know it doesn't agree with me as as much as it used to when I was young. I just you know I can't I can't. I agree. I'm a I'm a couple years into my 40s and like, you know, I just cannot, <laughs> I cannot handle like I could back in the day. So it's a little rough. But well, I hear you. I hear you. It is, it is election night. So, yes. um, you know, there's all that going on, which is uh, actually, I got to say, uh, I was, you know, like I, I get always a little nervous before podcast episodes, especially with people that I've never met before. But yeah. Tonight was a welcomed nervousness because Me I, was, too, yeah. I was like getting so anxious about, I still I am too. anxious, but you and I get to spend an hour or so together and it, it'll get me off of that for a, a split second. And hopefully yeah. when I, when we, we pow and we rap and I turn it back on, there's some better news waiting. So yes, that's I instead agree. of just sitting there I and agree. watching, which was killing exactly. me. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I'm like, refresh, refresh. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm glad we're all on the same page. But um, oh, God. so, you know, just to let everybody know in case they don't know what you do, tell us about what you do. Uh, I have a clothing company. So I'm a clothing designer. I have a clothing company called Allison Izu. I do women's wear. And it's all manufactured locally here in Hawaii. It's a lot of like easy, casual basics that, you know, just work for, for our climate and our lifestyle. Gotcha. And how long have you been doing that? I've been doing it like over 12 years, I would say. I mean, oh, wow. there was a lot of like bumps in the beginning. So I didn't fully launch launch. Um, but, but yeah, I've been doing it for a long time. Okay. And then, uh, so I'm, uh, well, it's weird because like you're the third, like sort of local fashion person I've had in, in my few six months, less than six, uh, six months about, of doing this. Oh, nice. And, and like, I'm like the, you can see in the screen, I'm like the least fashionable per person. I have like a, <laughs> a dry fit t-shirt and like a, a, a trucker hat on, you know, that's like how, it, this is like my normal. So I, right, I find right. it, people find it weird that I have all these, um, these fashion people in my in my circle and they, they say, yep. well, you don't wear anything fashionable. I'm like, no, I don't. <laughs> but how did you get started okay. in your business? Like what 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 was it like when you got started and why did you get started? I mean, I I like to joke that I went to a private school my whole life. So I wore a uniform my whole life. So I feel like I didn't get to like have that like expression of like yourself through your clothing. So I was always really um, drawn to fashion and clothing because you know that only the weekends was the time that I got to wear what I wanted to wear mm -hmm. um, and then I think I went away to school I went to UH for a little while and then I went away to school um, I went to FIT in New York and it was there that I kind of realized that fashion the mainstream fashion was made for not me I'm I'm like barely 5'2 so the clothing, the patterns, the fit models that they were using, they were like these five, eight Amazonian women. And every time I would make a, you know, a piece that I would put on my fit model, I would go home and put it on me. And I was like, this looks horrible. This is ridiculous. Right. And that was like my aha moment where I was like, 
well, why isn't anyone making clothing for short people like me when I see short people everywhere, even in New York? You know, it wasn't just the Hawaii thing. So that was when I kind of thought, like, I wonder if I could make a clothing brand specifically for women who are a little shorter. Um, so that's where I started. I started in petite denim because remember back in the day, the denim craze was huge. Like everybody wanted premium denim. Um, and that's what I started in. And I, I created denim that was made the way men buy denim, which is an inseam and a waist measurement. Women don't buy pants like that. So um, I started there and, and now it's kind of evolved into easy separates, which is like knitwear and other kind of just easy clothing because jeans is kind of a, a tough sell right now too. <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, I mean, to as a guy who has, who's also short, I can tell you the way men's jeans work doesn't really work for me. Like, you know, I mean, I, I ain't got, I'm not really like a finding a, a 34 with a, you know, like a short inseam is pretty rough. So, you know, it's, yes. it's, it's still, I, I mean, I can understand, especially coming from Hawaii. I mean, typically we're Asian, you know, not very tall, yep. whatever reasons that is. So yeah, the fit doesn't really work. Did you always want to be a fashion designer? Is that something you like? from when you were young? Cause I mean, 12 years seems like you've been in it for a while. Yeah. So is that always something you wanted to do? I think so. I mean, I think like I, you know, I was like, Oh, I'm going to be a veterinary. You know, when you're younger, you kind of think you're going to do all these other things. But I think I've always now when looking back, I realize I always had this like draw towards fashion. Like I was the girl who was like cutting my Barbie's hair and like making them look different. And like, I wasn't, I wasn't okay with the status quo, like what was being presented to me as a child. And, you know, so I think I just always was looking for something that felt more genuine and authentic to my life. Um, and that was fashion for me is kind of how I can express that. So you are currently at Alamoana, right? At the yes. shopping center. And we'll get into that because mm -hmm. I have a lot of questions about what it's like <laughs> about that. Yeah. Well, because I mean... And I, I'm from Hilo, so right. when when we came up to go Honolulu, the big city, yes, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Moana was the spot. I mean, like Alamoana <laughs> right. is big time. You had like TNC, HAC. It was like shit. Yep. We went buy all our clothes yep. today. Like all our school yes. clothes was all one time at Alamoana. So like for me, and I, I, I mean, I think it still holds. It's sort of the retail the retail pinnacle for at least a local person like you you, you know alamana is the mall the place to go if you need to go buy especially clothes um right so we'll, we'll get into that but you know how how did you start like what was the story behind your start and how did you get started like you know i, I kind of want to figure out like what was it like were you working out of your house you know doing trade shows that kind of stuff like what was it like when you got started yeah, I've done it all. I, I started like so many years ago before like the internet and people could la launch their own website. So I had to do it like the old school way. So I started a couple other brands before I started my namesake brand. So I had like a t-shirt brand and I did like a vintage brand where I would like repurpose what were, clothing. What were the names thrift. of those brands? Okay, don't laugh. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, this is a it's sort of a semi comedy podcast too. You can swear it too, is. by the way. Like, oh no, my god, no, oh my no, god, don't matter. say that. It's gonna open a door and you won't be able. That's to fine. Me back. That's no. fine. That's more fun. 
Because by the time um, we power this, we're going to be good friends. That's the whole the I know. Whole, the whole I point. know. We're going to need more of this. Yeah, yeah too, we, can, so. we, can, we can do off-air later stuff. But, you know, like, oh we'll my be God, friends. So what was, the, what was the t-shirt company name? So I started a t-shirt company called Sacred Surf. And people joke because I went to Sacred Hearts. They yeah. thought it was that. And it wasn't. It was like, and my insignia was like this Buddha who would like surf and do all of these like random things and it was just like kind of tongue-in-cheek a little okay um and then reincarnation uh was my other brand so that was like kind of the before like thrifting became a thing that people did for themselves i would go i would thrift and i would repurpose like momos to make it into tops and skirts and whatever uh, i could make out of the fabric um and then i finally started my my brand alice izu and in the beginning i um I kind of thought I went straight to China. Like I found through mutual family friends, somebody who manufactured in China and I did the whole shebang, you know, got the business loan, worked like for a year back and forth with China, visited China and everything. Um, and that was my first huge, like total fail, like total fail. So I invested so much money. I had sold it into stores, some local boutiques and that sort of thing. And then I got the shipment here, opened the boxes, and you're like, what the fuck? Like, you're like, that is not what I ordered. That looks nothing like what we agreed on. Like, crying, drinking, like, whatever you could do to numb the pain. That was, like, my first, like, holy shit. And that was the moment where you're like, okay, Allison, like, you want to continue? Because you basically drained your business loan. So are you going to continue or are you just going to go get a, a job, you know? So... Um, obviously I continued, but yeah. it was a tough thing because I had already wrote, written orders with stores. And so I had to like scramble, got on a plane to LA and basically found a denim manufacturer there to do the order on a really smaller scale. Um, and then, you know, I had a good run with selling to local boutiques. And then I, I joke back in the day Nord when Nordstrom came to Hawaii, I was like, I'm going to get into Nordstrom. And nobody knew how. It was just like, how did we get into Nordstrom? And I literally stalked the general manager of Nordstrom. <laughs> <laughs> and he would always tell people, if people came up to him, Brian Tatsumura, and they would be like, hey, Brian, how do you get into Nordstrom? He's like, you should go talk to Alison Izu because <laughs> you've got to hear this girl's story. I literally, and I'm not, I'm, you know, I wasn't, I'm not that forward of a human. Don't think I'm like a stalker. But I basically just, kept talking to him I kept like introducing myself and finally he was like all right let's just give it a shot you know let's try it he was gonna allow me to do a trunk show and that kind of led me on my way to kind of creating you know that tipping point of a name where people would start to recognize who Alison Izu was yeah yeah I mean I guess I mean I, and I don't know squat about the retail biz especially the fashion biz but I would have to assume like Back in that time, how long ago was the, the Nordstrom thing? That's probably like 10 years Nordstrom ago when they came, right? Nordstrom was like, yeah, at least, no, even more than that. Oh, so pretty early on. <laughs> what, what year is this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, I remember it because I had my first child. I had my daughter then, so it was, 20, it was 2010, yeah. Okay, so 10 years ago. I, I mean, it's a lot different of a game back then I would assume because mm -hmm. it was like you want to get into the Bloomingdale's or Neiman Marcus or Nordstrom because right 
that's where people were going to shop, right? Like they were going to those, especially for, you know, fashion kind of stuff. Right. Obviously, I never shopped. I never. I don't think I ever bought anything <laughs> in either. I've eaten at um, Nordstrom's. I've, I've right? had there lunch go. there yeah. a bunch of times. And they, when I go into the men's section, they usually follow me around a little while. And they're like, oh, sir, would you? Well, oh, you I, I'm help. just... <laughs> I'm just eating here. I'm just eating here. Uh, eating. But um, so like, I mean, you stalked the guy, you got in, but like, I'm sure that was a pivotal point for you as far as your, your, your actual business. Did you feel like um, you actually saw your name brand starting to actually gain traction at that point then? I mean, I think as a person in the business you always feel like you're never or maybe this is just me I'm never like happy where I am I'm like oh my god people would be like oh my god you're in Nordstrom I'd be like yeah but you know I'm only in that corner section over there so like it's a very Asian thing yeah you're like nah it's not that big of a deal but so it was like one of those things that they trained me up to kind of understand the industry like I went to fashion school I understood like this is how you put a collection together this is how you manufacture um but the game is totally different in Hawaii and it's just, you know, it's a who you know kind of game and and how do you get that customer kind of engaged with your product before we had like Instagram and all of these things. Um, it was more name recognition through through connecting yourself with people like Nordstrom's and, and Neiman's or whoever else. Yeah. So you brought up a good point because my next question was going to be like about that, the whole social game, right? And how, how did social media kind of shift the business for you i'm guessing in it shifted it in a, in a pretty significant way yeah i mean i i joke all the time like when i first built my first website it was literally like html like it wasn't what it is today it wasn't this drag and drop you know app and so that was how we got our name out i would do trade shows on the mainland i would i found like a sales rep in la like i did the whole shebang because that was what we were taught in fashion school was you get a sales rep or you get into a showroom and you just like, you wholesale into stores, you wholesale into boutiques, into department stores. It wasn't, uh, you know, I couldn't go straight to the consumer. I obviously had to go into a store as a wholesaler. So that was my game for a while until I realized like, oh, I can kind of start, right? Like once Instagram started to pop up, we were like, oh, I have an audience now, like an engaged audience that I can kind of start to market to and that was that was pretty early on like I think I started I always remember based on my kids so I feel like my daughter was like about one years old when I like <laughs> kind of got into the the Instagram game and and figuring that out and how to get people engaged so did that whole social media movement now make it a lot more palatable for you to actually go <laughs> like retail direct to consumer yeah, I mean, in the beginning, you know, I was working out of my home. It, there came a point where I was like, okay, I gotta, people were asking me to meet me. And I was like, oh, meet me at my public storage. <laughs> you know, so it didn't, didn't seem legit for somebody being in Nordstrom. So um, it came to the point where I was like, okay, let's get an office space. So me and a couple other um, friends got an office space together and we would do trunk shows. So that was when I started. And that was back in the day when trunk shows were huge, like everybody was doing it all over the island. Mm -hmm. um, there was like um, Honolulu Night Market and all of those kinds of events. So that led me to understanding how do you capture emails? How do you get people to follow you on Instagram? How do you get them to engage? 
and and follow you around to whatever pop-ups and trunk shows you did on the island so yeah and then uh you know like so you started to kind of grow into retail or more direct to consumer i should say um and now what do you still wholesale or are you pretty much like just at your retail space and direct to consumer online yeah mostly i don't do any wholesaling anymore i think i gave up wholesaling maybe like three or four years ago it just it took a dive as far as like getting into stores i mean it was like um yeah and i sold into like national stores that were in the midwest and um it just it didn't make sense anymore because i was losing money putting products into a store that far away from me while i was still making a product here in hawaii so Sure. It didn't really make sense. Yeah. And losing money, how did you have to pay for um, floor space? That's why. Is that how it works? I know like, I mean, so, it was... like for me, you know, I, I came up, my first job was with, uh, I always reference him, but Jimmy at Hawaiian Chip Company. Oh, Taro I love Jimmy. Super, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, like, um, you know, shelf space in a grocery store is one of the most expensive real estate there is in the world like the per square foot because you got to pay if you want right if you want to have your chips on the shelf you have to pay for that little roll and it's right it's freaking expensive so right is that is that how it works with some of these stores too like if you want some floor space they're gonna you gotta pay a little to to play i mean you don't necessarily like they don't charge you for square footage it's more like you get right like if if my product got into a store and they were like we're gonna do a 20% off sale I have to eat the 20% off like so all of my margins got super small and my margins were already small because they kind of cap you where they're like no we want you to be in this price point you know we want you to be an $80 top that means you can only sell it to us for like 30 and then I was probably manufacturing it for like $27. Like I was so close to the margin because I'm flying fabric from LA to Hawaii to cut and sew it. And then I'm mailing it back to the mainland. Like it didn't make sense. It it was like, for me, I wasn't making money. It was literally like a marketing plan in my head. Like, oh, if I can say I was in these stores, then people will think I'm credible or whatever. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. yeah. find it in Nordstrom, you know, and like buy my stuff in Nordstrom. exactly yeah. exactly yeah it, it was um i mean like i said my my well on the fashion side but if i talk about like food business retail yeah it's it's a it's a tough biz and like the the retailer has a lot of control over no i want to buy it for this like if, exactly you know, and like you're like fuck like, like oh, yeah shit. exactly yeah <laughs> that means the cost of my bags now i gotta eat the cost of the this material or i gotta eat the cost yep. of that and you know, exactly. it, so switching to retail and, and it's weird because Jimmy and I would have these battles about like, I, I believed in wholesale, but I believed in, in the right. way that at the, that point, and I worked with him two decades ago, it was oh, nice. early 2000. So it was more about getting it out. Like we need to right, get our label right. out. So right. that was the, the ploy, even though I was like, I know we're going to not make a lot of money, but right. we got to get people to buy it more than just at the craft fair. Um, right. And then, but he believed in the eventual retail direct to consumer, which is what he does now. And he's doing, now, you know, much, right. much, I mean, he still does wholesale, but it's not a significant part of the business. But when you switch to retail, did you now then start to see your company start to take kind of leaps? Oh, yeah. 
okay. leaps and bounds because like, I mean, not to be weird, like I was in debt. I mean, I'm not out of debt. I mean, I was like You're a business owner. Was... You're always in debt, but <laughs> yeah, there's not, there's debt. good exactly. debt and there's bad debt. Exactly. If your cash flow like... is covering your debt, you're exactly. fine. Yeah. There were months where I was wholesaling and I was like, holy shit, like, how am I going to buy more fabric? Because like, that's to be weird as a fashion business, no matter if you sell or don't sell the previous collection, you still have to make a next collection. Like we're always ahead. So I don't have any like metrics really to go off of. I just got to keep cranking out clothing to seem credible or people are going to be like, what happened to Allison? She's not making clothes anymore. Like it can't just stop, especially being in a store like Nordstrom. You just have to keep delivering. So some months you're not making ends meet and you're like, okay, there's a third credit card to buy fabric or whatever I needed to do. So yeah. And retail has given me that opportunity to kind of get to the next level of like being able to like have some cash flow that I can buy. Like now I can buy a little bit more fabric or make a little bit more clothing to kind of slowly expand the collection and the brand. So where was your first store? So my first store was in Kaimuki. So I had like a small, um, as a small boutique, boutique workspace. Um, I shared it with another brand called 10 Tomorrow. And we uh, had just like this little, yeah, yeah. So we had this little, I mean, she's still in that store. Um, I had since moved out, but we were, we had that store. Um, Yeah, it was, it was a, it was a nice opportunity to see people. It was, it's really off the beaten path. So it was nice to see that people would come to a destination to shop for us. It wasn't, you know, so that was nice to see that local support. Yeah. Summer was the third fashion person that I had on. Oh, funny. (laughs) Although we were, we were, we brought, we brought, she came on more like, well, we talked about her business, but I want to bring her back on because we didn't really talk about the business. It was more about the keep it Kaimuki and the whole, that whole Kaimuki Uh, movement. Because she's sort of part of that. But um, okay. So you started there and then Mm -hmm. did you, go from there directly to Ala Moana? Yeah, so it was awesome. Like Ala Moana, it, random. This is like what I love about uh, random things that happen in the universe. Um, we had gotten an opportunity. It was me, uh, Ten Tomorrow, Jana Lam, and Misha Lam. We got an opportunity to do a pop-up in Ala Moana Hotel. One of our friends had a space and they're like, just pop up. So we all popped up. I don't know, maybe it was like a month or two that we were there. And just by being there, Ala Moana management reached out to me and said, hey, would you be interested in sitting down with us? Because we we're trying to bring more local to Ala Moana Center. And I, I literally thought somebody was bullshitting me. Like, I literally was like, <laughs> is this a real email? Like, what? I had to, like, drop it down, see if this is a real email to see, like, is this for reals? And so I sat down with them. And it was one of those things where you're like, okay, I put it in the back of my head. I walked all of the spaces that they wanted to show me. And I was like, maybe, I don't know. Um, I wasn't, you know, super confident about it, but they were so like kind of trying really hard to get me and really trying to work with my budget and what I could afford that I was kind of like, okay, well, what do I have to lose? You know, it was like, it wasn't a long-term lease. It was, it was a really good opportunity because Really, their whole goal was to get more local brands there. Gotcha. So yeah. And then, um, so when was that? When you when you moved into Alamana? How old that? was your kids? I, Let me ask you that. I know, right? How, <laughs> yeah. old, how old were my kids? I know yeah, how exactly. to ask now. It's just <laughs> what, <laughs> no. this 
Costco in a good marker. My How old was your kid? Yeah. Everything, everything like is like one steady flow of information for me. It was about two years ago. Yeah. Okay. So you moved yeah, in right there. around Christmas time. Oh, wow. Right before Christmas. Yeah, right before Christmas. I literally, like, my friends, my husband, we just all went in. We went in, like, two nights, and we just, like, put that place together. And, like, yeah. And then, um, so, and you're on the, which, I, I apologize. Like, I avoid. No, no, even no, no worries. Ala Moana is, like, the pinnacle. I avoid that place <laughs> like it's the plague. Like, especially now yeah, with the plague, I, I avoid the place <laughs> like it's the plague. But prior to that, like, I would literally, like, know which store i'm going to park as close as i could park, run yep. into the store buy my shit and then get get out because like yep. i couldn't i couldn't do i like i'm not big with the crowds but where where is it in yeah. alamona like what i'm um by neiman marcus so they call it like center court where the where the stage is i'm the on Escal- the third floor okay mm-hmm. um kind of by uniqlo or not by i'm uniqlo. by i'm actually a- yeah, Uniqlo. Move. I'm by um across the like Aveda Salon. Ho'ala, okay. Aveda oh yeah, Salon. sorry. Yeah. Uniqlo's on the yeah. other the other end by yeah um, by Nordstrom. Yeah, or North, Nordstrom. Yeah. Yeah. See, that's that's what I mean. I don't go. I don't even yeah. know where everything is. <laughs> it's okay because most people get Neiman's and Nordstrom mixed up too, so it's it's too much. Yeah. <laughs> see, but that's good because before they would bury all the local stores on the street level. So yes. you're you're in yes. like one of the a good spots. area yeah 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 so how exactly. has that been i mean okay we'll get into the covid19 thing pretty soon but leading up to that what was the experience like being in ala moana i mean i've i've worked retail i've never done retail at this scale so you know i think the hardest thing in especially in hawaii like you know rent is expensive utilities is like crazy and i had to staff the whole store Alamoana is open for like 12 hours a day, right? All day, every day, seven every days day. a week. So, and, and I was like, I'm not working a store. Like, I think it's hard. Like people don't quite understand, like to make clothing is a full-time job. And then to sell clothing is another full-time job. And then to market it, right? So I was like, I'm not working a store. I really need to find a team to run the store so I can still make clothing and market it and whatever. So that was a that was the biggest investment that I ever had to make was to put a team together. I literally put a team together in like two weeks. I was like, Alamo, I was like, okay, sign the contract. Okay, here's the keys. And I was like, furniture, buy furniture, make clothing, put it in. And I was like, I needed I my goal was to open before Christmas, at least two weeks before Christmas. So I threw a team together and yeah, it was crazy. So I was like, I couldn't negotiate. I'm like, I gotta pay this girl what she's asking, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it was nuts. And did it work? I mean, I'm guessing it's working out because you're still there. It's working out. Yeah, it's working out. Yeah. And we've, we've learned. So I'm, I am the type of person that I need to be kind of thrown into the fire. I learned the best that way. So, you know, and you're making mistakes along the way. But that's how you kind of evolve and grow and, and understand where you want to be. I mean, if you can share, what was the biggest fuck up that happened after you moved to um, Ala Moana? Oh, God. I, I mean manufacturing alone will always be the biggest fuck up that I make. Like I have since like moved my manufacturing to LA thinking that that would be easy. And then I moved it back to Hawaii and like people don't see that kind of crazy stress that happens on the back end. Right. Like, I mean, I mean, not, not to say that I didn't want to make these things, but sometimes you would get clothing back and you're like, 
what the heck? Like that shirt doesn't look right. And then we would, the print was wrong. I would have to literally, because I don't want to put it out on the floor looking like that. I would send it to go get re-dyed. So it looks like something that would make sense coming out of my brand. Like there was just so, there's so much crap that happens behind the scenes before it even hits a hanger, before it even hits a st- uh, the store floor. So yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. I'm guessing as a designer, for you, you want to be the most involved with that part, right? Like the actual, because yeah. you, I'm guessing, and I have, again, t-shirt, trucker hat on. I don't, <laughs> I don't have a clue. I mean, I have, I have a lot of Kuhau stuff because he's Hilo and I got to support. Say, and yeah. like, no, I do. But with the pandemic, I think I threw on one of his shirts like once since right. into 2020. Right. But I have a I have a bunch of and I I told him I was rocking his stuff before <laughs> Mayor Caldwell before Governor Abercrombie before he got there you go. but I'm guessing like as a designer you know like you're most because you're you're doing designs you're I'm guessing you do mock-ups right you have like mm-hmm. prototypes yeah. and then you send that to the manufacturer and say like here we go like that's here's the patterns here's yep. the print this is what we want it to look like and yeah you want to be on top of that. So is that why you kind of brought that back to Hawaii? Yeah, definitely. Because manufacturing in LA, obviously you have to make like way more minimums. You're just like, the, the output is so much bigger. And then to sell that through, it's it's hard. I only had one store. My website wasn't that huge, you know? Um, And I always manufactured in Hawaii. It's just more comfortable. And I am like, a good and a bad thing. I'm kind of like a hands-on person. So I literally manage a cutter. I pick it up from her. I take it to the sewers, you know, so I'm in it, like I'm in it and, and it, but it allows me to see a problem before it happens. Like when I used to manufacture in LA, it could all hell could break loose. And then you're, you're seeing it at the end when you're like, what the heck? That's not my button. That's not the fabric. This is not what I wanted. And there's nothing you can do, but being in it, along the way I can be like get it back from the cutter and I'm like wait that's wrong and I can fix it before it gets sewn up so there's a it's a good and a bad thing because I don't want to continue to do this forever because it is a really huge part of my day to manage production yeah I mean so that that I mean I guess my question would be can that is that scalable is that something that you can and I have no idea about fashion production, but is that something you can have somebody eventually take over for you? Or are you the pers- type of personality where that's going to be like too hard to do? Because I mean, I just know as an entrepreneur myself and, you know, the entrepreneurs I know, like it's hard to get out of the weeds because we were in the weeds and we grew up in the weeds. Right. And that's how we right. got to the places we were, we are is because yeah. we were doing all the stuff that now we're trying to hire somebody to do. So right. do you think, especially in a, a fashion brand, which is very much like you, do you feel like you could get to the point where you hire somebody or you can have them a trust, trust in somebody to oversee production so that now maybe you can just stay with the design part or even like yeah. the design part, even hand some of that off and be like, let me see what you got. And then, oh, that that yeah. matches or, you know, can you see yourself? I mean, that? I think, yeah, definitely. I definitely want to give up that technician role of actually manage. I mean, like 
not to be weird, I'm getting older and I like carry 80 pound bolts of fabric to my cutter, right? It's not, it's not the best, most glamorous. I always tell people who's like, I want to get into fashion. I'm like, it's not glamorous, especially if you're running your own production, right? So you got to be able to do the heavy lifting and the crazy stuff in the beginning. And that is the first thing that I would want to give up because now I can see um, where maybe my forte is it's more about creation and then where the business is going to go instead of being stuck in the weeds and doing the technician like pick up drop off you know it, it doesn't make sense it's not a good use of my time so gotcha. yeah just finding the person is the hard part because <laughs> you're like oh can you lift 80 pounds you know and they're like why do I lift 80 pounds yeah <laughs> well, but it's not I would assume it's not just the the physicalness of it it's the sorry I gotta open a new We'll, yeah, we'll I'm refill drink. We're refilling drinks. Yeah, right refill, now. refill. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I'm, I'm guessing it's because you're creating, and I, I mean, you're creating full on clothes. It's not like it's a t shirt printing business where you get right. the screens and you, you they do the first run and you go, like, oh, yeah, that's the right colors. Run them. You know, like it's a little yep. different. But yeah, I, I could see that being a, a bit difficult. It's not the physical part. You're looking, I mean, more important, you need somebody with the that understands your eye, I would assume, and understands where right. your brain is trying to go. And like each design, you know, you're trying to accomplish something. So they're probably trying to, you got, they got to understand what you're trying to accomplish. If not, they're going to look for the wrong or they're not going to see the right, the right stuff, right? Yeah. I mean, I think that's the hardest part is, you know, now I have like a team, right? I have like this team that depends on me. What do I got to do today? And that was the thing that I never knew when it happened, but it was me in a room doing everything by myself. And then slowly but surely I started getting these, you know, uh, like they would be like, oh, right. Somebody who was like an intern that turned into a, and I, I never was taught how to manage a team. Mm. And so that was my most difficult part because now I have to be, so organized however many months ahead so when it comes time to pass it off i can pass it off and and empower them to do it well and they're not like i don't know what you want and i don't even know what i want so i've learned that in the last two years running a team with ala moana is i'm not there and they have to know i have to put all of my brain down on a paper so that they know a to z what i want to be accomplished and that that was the hardest part for me definitely do you feel you're getting better at that? I don't know if my team would say I'm getting better at it, but I feel like I'm getting better at it. Yeah. Well, let's put like it I, this way. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> how, how long has your longest team member been there from the beginning? No, I've switched teams a lot. I oh, have okay. had somebody. Yeah. So, and, and I feel like it's just an evolution of me as a human, you sure. know, and so understanding what I needed and, for me asking for what I needed because I'm very Japanese in that sense. So um, I'm finding that team that, that understands my language of what I'm asking them to do. That's an interesting point. Cause I always, um, obviously I'm, I'm Japanese American too, but um, I grew up, I grew up in a, in a family of business, small business owners. Oh, nice. right? My mom had her own business. My grandpa had her, his business, you know, and like my stepdad, ran a, a larger company. He wasn't our business because shit, I wouldn't be here doing what I'm doing if it was our business. <laughs> I'd be there doing it. But, 
what kind of businesses i'm interested oh, in now. well so my mom was a um long long time she was a um hairstylist she had her own shop oh, nice from when i was a kid so we grew up my sister and i grew up at the shop like that's where we learn how to count money and like clear awesome. out the till and like zero it back out and like you know like as she got boxes of like product we would check the packing slip and we were like single digit old but we would open the box check the right. packing slip count right like we have 10 of those okay 10 and then cross them off the <laughs> packing funny. slip but so we grew up at her shop um my grandpa her dad owned a uh, a trucking business and a gas station out in Honoka'a which is like oh, I, nice. don't know if, I don't know if you know Big Island but that's like an hour out it's out in the boonies like my my i'm okay. I'm country like my well i'm not too country i'm like a level above my cousins who are like from <laughs> Honoka. they're they're a country and i'm like yeah they consider me a townie that i grew townie? up in Hilo. Okay. and then okay. and then honolulu considers me country we're so like we're, it, yeah yeah it all filters yeah. down it's a different but, level, so they yeah. had that and then my stepdad um was uh the longtime uh executive at suisan which is oh. the fish company. Plenty of people yeah. know for the fish market, but they are they're like the biggest food distributor on the island. So they're like oh, a okay. When he retired, I think they were at like a 90, 90 something million dollars a year kind of Damn. Yeah. So it's okay. a big company. So I, I just learned a lot from from being around them. And like yeah. yeah, I mean the the leadership part, the running teams and and managing people that's a hard skill and that's something you yeah. cannot learn like I, I don't feel like and i didn't go business school but i i, I feel right. like even the people i know that went to business school they don't they don't learn you have to learn by actually like just getting a team and yeah. then figuring out what's working and what's, failing yeah, yeah yeah i mean what was your what was your give me a fav your favorite management story i can give you plenty oh that you can oh tell without violating like HR policy because I don't want yeah. you to, you know. Yeah, I mean, my dad is also an entrepreneur, so I learned a lot. I I call my dad a serial entrepreneur because he has started so many businesses in nice. my lifetime, and so I've watched him, you know, kind of like succeed and fail in this like cycle of of starting businesses. And I think, not to throw him under the bus, but I learned a lot of my management from him, and he's super old school, right? So he's like. You got to be the one who knows how to do every job in your business, right? You got to sweep the floors. You're the first one in, last one out. Yeah. And that's how I used to run my business was. And then there was a point that I like would watch what was happening. And I was like, I am spinning around like a crazy top. And everybody is just trying to like follow me. Yeah. And we're not being successful because I'm like, I'm like, I got it. No, I got it. I got it. And people are just there trying to help me and trying to see that I succeed. And that's eventually how I would lose people because they were like, I can never live up to the spinning craziness that Allison is. So I got to leave. And I would be like, why? I'm such a nice person. What's going on? But <laughs> I realized that I wasn't enabling or empowering anybody to do their job. I was like trying to do it myself and like, just watch me do it, you know? And, and that was a lot of what I learned from my dad. So yeah, yeah I mean, I had to get out of my way. Yeah. And that's the hard part. Like, I, I think, I've sort of developed this philosophy that with my team, you guys can go break some windows. Just don't burn down the place. Like that's all I ask. Just don't burn it down. Right. You can break some windows trying to figure out how to do it better than I like. Cause I, 
my perspective is only singular, right? Like you right. may know or you may find a better way to do what I what we're trying to accomplish. So my job right. is to just explain really clearly what are we trying to accomplish? Like what are you what's what's the why and what are you trying to accomplish? Here's my thoughts. And here's how right. I did it before. But if you can figure out a better way to do it, just don't burn the place down. Don't don't right. don't, don't fuck it up that bad where I got to like go call my insurance agent and go like, uh, like, you know, yes, but that's interesting. I mean, do you, I mean, and I don't know. I mean, I feel that like the, maybe you can validate this to your network, but I feel like people like us who have like our parents or family members that have gone into their own business or have done stuff like that tend to, go and do that kind of stuff themselves do you do you see Mm -hmm. that as somebody in your area and like your in your network as far as like that serial is it kind of a learned behavior I think so I think it I think like had I not had a father who started businesses left and right I would have never thought that this was possible I would have never thought that people actually do this right but I saw my dad like succeed and fail at so many businesses that I was like I'm gonna start a business and all of my friends were like, you're going to start a business? How? I'm like, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to figure it out. Like, <laughs> because I saw my dad do it and yeah. there was no fear in like just putting yourself out there and, and kind of doing it. And the funny thing is my husband is also an entrepreneur. So to have, and his father was an entrepreneur. So it, it is one of those learned behaviors like you're saying, because we, we mimic that and we, we saw it as possible. And had we not been raised by those parents, I don't know if I would have had that dream in my brain. Like I'm going to start my own business. I might've just worked for a clothing company or whatever, you know, Yeah, be a designer or whatever. Yeah. At that point. Right. Yeah. It's, it's kind of funny. Do you think you're, you're cause you have a daughter. How many kids? I have a daughter and a, I have two kids. So I have a daughter and a son. Yeah. Do they kind of grow up at your, like I grew up at my mom's shop and like, and then, so my mom retired from a hairstylist when I was, middle school i think seventh grade or something like that her back she had back uh-huh. problems so the standing all day cutting people's hair and working on people just couldn't do it anymore but then in high school she opened up like a sporting goods store because my sister and i oh. were well because we would play soccer and baseball and Sport. there were weren't enough places to buy equipment in in hilo oh, so she so saw the void yeah. she opened it but like i would like that was my after school quote-unquote job, job. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, I never yeah. got paid. I mean, I never got paid. Yeah, of course, Although my mom listens to this, so she she probably would whoop my ass because she let oh, yeah. me she let me have inventory. So oh I would work for my equipment. Like if I wanted that go. new glove, if I wanted right. the new bat, I could have it. And that was why I worked there. But, but do you see your kid? Do, you, do your kids hang out with you at, at your shop? And like, do they grow up around the business? And your yeah, husband's definitely. business too, I'm, I'm guessing, because he yeah. has his own business. Yeah, they definitely do. I mean, they're like, not to be weird, they're they're helping unpack boxes. I mean, it's a family affair. If mommy has to go and, well, daddy, I should say, has to go and like put racks <laughs> up and like, right? like we all go down and they like, I'm like, you got to sweep because daddy's drilling holes, sweep up, pick up boxes. And they, yeah, so they're in it and. And I think it, it is. It's a I I see that as a value um, to have my kids see that this is what we do. Yeah, I have a store in Alamoana, but it doesn't mean I'm just sitting pretty 
like bossing people around. We're still here. We're still the ones who are doing the work too, because we, we believe in this brand. And so, yeah, I, I appreciate that they can see that as well. So if your son or your daughter comes up to you in 10, 15 years and goes, mom, I want to start my own company. How do you, how do you approach that conversation? Being that you have I this know. experience. Yeah. Like, what would you <laughs> tell them? Like, I mean, cause like, I, I think my mom is, would like, and I, I think my end goal someday is that I would have, whether it be a small company, I just want my own thing someday. I don't know what the problem is. I never, I never could figure out what that would be. Um, right. And I think at that point, my mom would be like, go for it. Like, don't even like, just go. Yeah, I could see my 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 stepdad or my dad being like a lot more cautious and being like, "Well, you gotta think about this and like your cash flow analysis, but you know, you gotta yeah, you know, yeah, perform yes, right, yes. You, know, you know, just because that's more their style." But if your if your son or your daughter came up to you and go like, "Mom, I want to start a whatever business," how would you approach that that conversation? I I mean, I would definitely support them, and I think I would remind myself to like stay out of it as much as possible because <laughs> I you know I value that like that could be not again I'm not throwing my parents under the bus but like in the beginning they were just like oh yeah yeah go start your business right because in their head they were like yeah I don't know if it's gonna work out right and my dad still had his business and I worked for my family business for a while and in the back of his head I'm sure he might not admit to it but he hoped that I would come back to his family business oh, so I see um, I think it was one of those things that he was like, yeah, yeah, go do your own thing. But this will always be here for you to come back to. Um, but I never came back to it, obviously. <laughs> but I think now that they could see that he realizes that it was because he was hands off that I could fail and succeed the same way he did. Had he butt in, I don't know if I would have been able to learn as much. So I what hope if, I can uh... have that. Insight. What if uh, your son or daughter says like I can work for grandpa? I know, right? That would that would happen. No, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I think they, you know, I think they both. I I think I have to also because I'm a little like my dad. I have to get out of my own way and not hope that one of my kids takes over my business. Oh, I see. I think that's the scary part, right? Is like I want them to have their own dream and. Right, it's a very Asian local thing to be like. This is the family business. This is what you step into and i don't mm -hmm. want them to feel obligated to do yeah. that oh uh, yeah. I, I never thought i would i never had hopes of cutting hair so i, I think my mom was kind of <laughs> safe although yeah. i I've, I've cut hair and i i'm all kind of okay at it because i've just watched her do it for decades right but the yeah technique. I, that's not quite my that's not quite my uh, cup of tea but i i want to shift the conversation to covid obviously um the whole reason I started this podcast six months ago was like the pandemic hit and I felt like I wanted to talk to young people like you, um, you know, leaders that I, I am connected through through the network I have to talk about like what we need to do to go forward and like how do we survive, how do we recreate Hawaii and get a little bit young voices out there. So let's talk about COVID. How did COVID, I mean, I'm guessing the impact was severe, but how did that kind of impact your business and what kind of shifts did you have to make to like adjust to the pandemic? Yeah, I mean, when it first happened, it was like scary. Um, luckily, 
as a fashion designer and a cut and sew person, we could all jump in and and kind of ride the face mask thing for a while. So we all pushed our efforts there. We all threw our fabric into cut and sew into face masks. And so we could use at least some of our uh, resources to, to provide something that people needed and also give back to the community. So a lot of us did the, you know, buy and then we'll donate. Um, and, but that only lasted for like a month or two. And so when I started to see the, you know, everyone had their masks, everyone was good. I was like, okay, now what do I do? I mean, not, I'm joking, not joking, but like before COVID, I literally was like doing less than 10% online. So I was doing maybe 5%. Everything was in store. So I had a web store, I had an online presence, but nobody was shopping there. And so to have that trust that people would follow me there was was scary. And I think it wasn't just like all of a sudden we turned to switch and people follow us there. We we had to work to get somebody to refocus their efforts on online. And it allowed us, I mean, the good thing about it is we really learned on how to communicate with our customers and how to keep that conversation going, even if we're not seeing them in store. And so we threw our efforts there. We you know, I had to like upgrade our web store. I had to switch it to a new platform. I did, you know, we put like a chat box and all of these things that, you know, as a small business, you're like, oh my God, I got paid $19.99 for that a month and $19.99 <laughs> for that a month, right? Like you're adding all of these apps to your website, yeah, yeah, but yeah. it was, it was, it was something that needed to happen. So if you were 90% walk-in or in-person 10%, uh, online, did you see that flip? I mean, it not probably... immediately, but okay. yeah, we eventually saw that flip. And and for me, it was like being able to stand back and saying like, okay, now the only way we get to communicate with people is through social media and our email list. And so now we almost have to like shove information down people's throat. And before I would post, you know, like once a day on Instagram, but then we were like, okay, now we got to do two times a day, three times a day. Now I threw myself into Instagram storying and like putting on, I do style videos like every day, how to wear this clothes, new outfit, whatever. And, um, and then emails, it was like huge to create that communication with our different tiers of customer and getting our top tier customers engaged with us as often as we could without them being super sick of us. So mm. it was a lot of planning. My team just like, we all threw ourselves into trying different things and failing and succeeding. So yeah, it was, I'm grateful that I have a team that can like add a drop of a hat, be like, we're going to try something new today. And I'm going to like <laughs> totally flip their day upside down. And they're like, yeah, let's try it, you know, because they can kind of see how that's how I learn. I, I, I can't learn by pre-planning too much. I like to just do. Yeah, I think I think that's a key thing that you just mentioned about. A, a good entrepreneur is like you don't get analysis paralysis i call it like analysis like where you're nice yes overthinking something to the point where you don't do anything you know it's easier to just kind of have an idea and kind of i mean not be totally like from the hip but shooting from right. the hip but have a bit of a plan and have an idea like well if we did this it could do this or it could do this you know but but yeah. being able to be like let's try it and see what happens and, and, and then go forward. Um, yeah. what do you see? So how, okay. Let me ask you this first and you don't have to answer this question cause they're your landlord, but how was <laughs> Ala Moana 
as far as being a landlord through this whole process because you're in prime retail real estate and that's a yeah expensive place i i have no idea what the rent is and i don't want to know but i just yeah. know it's probably the most expensive retail space besides waikiki that you can have so yeah. how how were they during the pandemic as far as like understanding that you cannot open I mean, I think that was the thing that saved me was that we, they allowed us to make our own hours. Had I had to keep a team on from like nine to nine um, and they're basically just sitting there waiting for a customer to walk in instead of actually doing some kind of work or job, that would have been the biggest strain economically for me. So that was huge. So we shrunk our hours. We do 10 to 3 from Tuesday to Saturday. I don't open Monday and Sunday. Oh, that's nice. um, and we're super small because I know my customers. They are people who shop in the like, even before when I first opened Alamoana, nobody came from five to nine. But every store had to stay open those hours. So that was a huge dream to have a, a human sitting there for that amount of hours. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so they're pre pretty cooperative with you guys adjusting to your customer as far as when you know they're going to come in, right? Right. Are you doing a lot more like uh, like order online and come pick up or do you still have people who are like, I want to come, I want to walk in, I don't know, I didn't buy anything yet, but like what what's your mix like right now? It's a good mix now, now that we're getting to like tier two and things are easy. It's a good mix. But I think what I realized, because we didn't open our dressing room. So really, if you come into the store, it's just kind of like to feel the fabric, to see the color in real life, um, to hold it up against you. So through that, like tough, like figuring that whole part out, I came up with a new concept on how to allow people to try clothing on for a deposit and then figuring out what they wanted to buy. So that's something that we just launched uh, ending of last month and we call it easy try. And you can like put down $50. You can put like up to six pieces in your cart and you can try it on for $50. The $50 goes towards your purchase. Your purchase. So yeah, it's a, it's kind of like a no brainer. And so I, I'm grateful sometimes when you go through that, like difficulties that, these kind of like inspirational moments kind of come up because there's no other way, right? That makes total sense because I'm guessing most of them don't want to lose their deposits, so they're gonna buy. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> hey, you get a genius. Yeah, oh, that's a good idea. Exactly. I'm just saying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that makes sense. I mean, um, I, 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 that's and that's why I enjoy doing these podcasts and talking to different people because, like. I, I think, and I, I'm a, and my day job is like entrepreneurship education. Part of it is entrepreneurship mm -hmm. education. And like, I, I just told a bunch of kids that I was talking to, um, like, you know, they should go out like, you know, this next week and look in the community and see what businesses are doing differently. And that's entrepreneurship, right. like coming up with ideas, adjusting, being adaptable and like that that idea right there is pretty pretty awesome and and like i like the fact too that you cater to um different body types um uh, mm -hmm. i mean i like i mentioned i i know a couple of your models that you just had recently yeah. and they're <laughs> yeah. not i won't say their names 
I'll just say it like they're not typical they're they're not typical runway models and you right. know like I could see how they're your you know your clothes fits them and I've seen some of the pictures and it looks great um so long term now that we're hopefully entering tier three in a couple weeks seems right. like we might get there I don't know we're in tier two seems like we're solid in tier two and if people don't right. know I do have some people who aren't in Hawaii that couple not not a lot of people listen to this thing but a couple do but you know they can go look up on the mayor's website what the t- different tiers are but basically we're in tier two now we're moving to tier three um what do you see long term for your in the new in this new economy this new normal what do you see long term for your company i mean i think what I've never realized what that was that there is an audience for me online. And I think that is what I'm grateful for going through COVID is like, oh, people will follow me online or I'm getting new customers that have never walked into the store, have never really, but they got really attached to us through social media. So the power of social media and an online presence is huge. And so for me, I'm super grateful that I could kind of have that as like almost like living proof that this business is a real business. I mean, I still go through those moments. So there's like, is this good, a real business, right? So you're a real business. It's a nice, <laughs> thank you. It's a nice experience to see. And so for me, I, I realized like now, if I can throw a little more effort and money and investment into online social media marketing, advertising, that could have a really good return. And as a small business, it's always scary to spend more money, but it's the risk that you kind of have to take to get to that next level. Have you been shipping more to to the continent or to all over different places in the pandemic? Yeah, we have. Yeah, we have. And and the crazy thing is, is that we'll see new names pop up as customers through this these last six, seven months. And that was something that I never thought could happen was like having a new customer engage with us, never walking into our store, never meeting our, my team or me face to face. Um, so that was like a really nice surprise to see. So yeah. do you think that that is a potential growth growth sector for you then? Yeah. I mean, I'm already like really deep diving into researching like Facebook marketing, Instagram marketing. What is that like sweet spot of a budget that you have to put there to have a good ROI? And so um, that was something, I mean, I've invested in like doing like, high news now and like you know certain like segments and i can see the return on that but that was because i had a store and that was because people could walk in yeah so this is a whole new ball game to to kind of step into yeah i mean if you're if you're <laughs> i hate to say it people might slap me i'm so, i'm sure some of my, my female <laughs> friends will probably punch me in the face next time they see me but i mean like most of my friends including the ones outside of hawaii would fit into your target fit size demographic, right? Like they're not, I'm not hanging around with like five, eight models, you know, like that's right. not, that's right. not my typical stuff. So like I could see, I could see that growth happening now that every, I think, I think so for me, my, my theory is that I, I think a lot of our local people, local businesses need to embrace the online world. And I think mm-hmm. Hawaii has an advantage to that because we are Hawaii and people like stuff from right. Hawaii. 
Um, but as far as, and I think the, the barrier to entry is getting lower. Like I think people are getting, I mean, our generation is pretty comfortable shopping online, but mm-hmm. I think more and more people are getting to that point where shopping online and they just want stuff that really either fits in your world, fits and looks nice, or like just fits you as a person, right? Like fits your personality. Right. Like I, I can't even remember. I mean, I try to buy local. But even local stuff, I will buy it online and right. I'll tell them, ship it to me or or I'll come pick it up. Like I don't want to go into a store because just the new, right. the new way we interact with people. But that's awesome, man. I, I'm, I'm pretty I'm pretty sure you guys will. I'm, well, I'm hopeful that you guys will go maybe. But so, OK, <laughs> let me you. ask you this. And, and again, you don't have to answer this question because this could be a, a tough one to to think through but or put you in a tough I don't want to put you in a tough situation but if <laughs> if the trend continues does it make sense to stay in a high rent place like Alamoana no it doesn't and that <laughs> okay. that is something that I ask myself every day okay is if yeah I mean, we still get a decent amount now that we opened uh, opened up. Um, yeah. We still get a decent amount of walk-ins, and so it is one of those questions that I ask myself every day. It's like, do we stay here? Can we be just an online brand? I mean, there's so many brands like in fashion. There's so many brands out there that you and I have never heard of that are making a killing online. They don't have a store. They have like probably a fulfillment center, and that's it. And like, I want that. You know, like, yeah. why am I killing myself? So yeah, it's it's something that I deal with. Do you guys get a lot of Japanese tourists, or did you? No, I'm not, and and luckily I'm not a tourist based brand. I am, I would say I'm 95 percent local. So through the pandemic, that's what allowed me to stay afloat. I don't depend on tourists, even though I'm in Alamoana. So yeah, that's odd because I would figure like those Japanese the Boboras would. Sorry. <laughs> I'm a couple I'm a couple drinks in, so that just slid out. But the Japanese nationals You gotta put the definition. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. the Japanese nationals, they I mean they fit your mm-hmm. fit size. So I would think yes. it would make sense. But uh interesting. I'm not I'm not technically like a Hawaii brand. Like I don't do like Hawaii Hawaiian prints. I yeah, don't do, right. It's yeah. Yeah, so it's hard. It's it's hard for people to see me as something to take home after their trip to Hawaii because I don't. My clothing looks like something they could probably get where they're from. Sure. So I think it's a good and a bad thing because I also could kind of see that helping me to bridge that gap to the national market, but it doesn't set me apart from other brands right now. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, it, and and that, that's where. Well, I mean, I'm glad to hear that you guys are. 90 for 95 percent local and like yeah because like i think that's what as i think through what our economy will need like going forward it's to really do things that that benefit local consumers and the more companies that benefit local consumers even if a part of their mix are tourists you know to me that's how we're gonna build a decent economy right like you want that money coming in from wherever right you want that money coming in Mm -hmm. but you want to keep as much money circulating locally as possible before it goes out to either the continent or to china or wherever it's going right 
Um, so I, I, I get that. And that makes a lot of sense. So, yeah. I, so for you, I, I, and we're at an hour, I don't want to keep you too long. It is, it is election night. And, um, <laughs> we have know. to get back to reality. I know. <laughs> fuck. I don't want to look. I mean, I could talk to you all night. Cause like, I, don't I just, look. I don't want to look. I, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to look. It's, it's, it's been a lot of stress. I mean, okay, well let's, let's close with some politics questions. And I mean, okay. Um, who you got on the national in the presidential race? <laughs> I mean, I'm a creative, I'm a woman, and I'm a minority. So I think it's pretty obvious. Okay. But oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean, oh. I just want Kamala in, in the White House. Okay, like, okay, okay. That's where I'm at. With, well, I, with I, she, you know, she was my, in the in the primary, she was my initial person that I liked. Me too. I liked her too, yeah. And then I kind of felt she fell off. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm glad she'll have a chance to, well, hopefully have a chance hopefully. to serve as vice president and kind of build up some of the things that kind of let her slide for me anyway. Yep. Yes. Um, I was a big Andrew Yang guy, not because he's me Asian. Me too. <laughs> oh, mine was because he was Asian. <laughs> oh, well, no. Mine, mine was because, like, I liked his ideas. And, like, if you went to his website, he actually had, like, every policy and where he stood on it and i was like this is very extensive very detail oriented very asian yeah. but i felt very like asian, yeah. yeah i felt like that was very um good to know where he stood at most of the stuff you know biden biden's all right you know he's he's yeah. he's obama's boy so i got to i kind of agree yep. to him uh yep. who who you got in the the mayor election Oh, this one was a tough one for me. I went back and forth. But, I mean, at the end of it, I went Amimiya because I know his wife. <laughs> very Hawaii thing. Very Hawaii thing to do. Oh, that's fine. <laughs> well, you can attest to his character. That's why. Right. And, and right, that's what exactly. means. I mean, it's not the fact that you know his wife. It's just you know his character through They're his just wife. a normal family. I mean, I think at the end of the day, politics for me is always, like, go with my gut. Like, what is their character just like you're saying how do i feel like they would be if we were sitting at a table or doing a podcast like this would i relate to them as a human being and that yeah. for me is how i usually vote yeah yeah it was a tough one for me too because i i feel like blangiardi was sort of you know different but right but and and i'm definitely over the whole old boy network here like i'm i'm we're right. seeing it I, i'll say it we're seeing it with our current leadership and the, yes. the, the, the failures that I feel there that's happening on a state and local level here in Oahu. It's because it's yeah. still part of that, that network, that old boy network. Yes. And that, that's, yes. so I'm okay with the outsider, but at the end of the, and I was a little worried that Keith is a part of that network, Yes, but I did end up voting for Keith because he's the only one I, like I've never talked to Rick and I've talked to right. Keith and like, I know he's a good guy. Um, I'm hoping that, you know, regardless of who gets elected, that they'll make good decisions and, and, and right. based on their character. Um, and I, right. I feel like his character was good. You know, like all the interactions I've had with Keith was always, you know, top notch and, and genuine, but yeah, right. it was a toss. I think either one could do a good job. 
Right. Um, I don't think we it's a bad thing either way for us. Nationally, we have some shit. To yeah, worry about, yeah, yeah. That's but... a different story. <laughs> that's a different story. And and that's where I'm getting a little like I just even now as we come to, you know, we're we're over an hour and I like I try to wrap it, but like even just thinking through like, okay, after we pow, I'm going yep. Fire up my my cow cow, eat my dinner yeah. or get my dinner ready, and then I'm gonna have to yeah. throw on the news, and I'm gonna be like, ah, oh, shit, I'm right back in it. But I but know, like, I, I just feel, I mean, uh, like locally anyway, like I feel we've had some missed opportunities in the last, you know, year this year, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and that's kind of why I started the podcast was to kind of get some younger. I don't, I didn't feel like younger people, our age, our generation, mm-hmm. the next gen. We're already leaders, but we will be working. We will be in this for the next 20. I feel like the right. people who are making decisions aren't going to be in it for the next 20. They're going to be kind of gone by right. then. And they weren't asking us for our input. You know, they're not looking right. at, like, or they're not taking our input. And I feel like there's a lot of missed opportunity, but I'm hoping that whether it's Keith or Rick, they'll kind of start to reach out to us younger guys and go like, hey, what do you guys think? And then we can say like, well, this is what got to happen. Like you got to, you know, like you, you got to increase local production, whatever that means right. of whatever we do. We right. got we to gotta try and get, make it easier for people to create and, and make stuff locally. And we got to understand yeah. that local, even local consumers are good consumers. We don't have to like just look at tourists as far as bringing in, in dollars. Right. Right. But. But yeah, I mean, I appreciate you coming on. Um, and yeah, I hope, I hope, cheers. I mean, I think we're, now yeah, we're, we're done with the hour. You know, I, I feel like we're, <laughs> we could probably hang out and hang out and I have know. some drinks now. <laughs> yeah, for real. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I do want to, I, I want to thank you for coming on. And, um, you know, I hope, I wish you well, you know, you and your business well over the next whatever, however long you're in it. And then, um, I look forward to actually meeting you in person, hopefully soon, someday. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. This was super fun and a very nice distraction from what's really happening in reality. <laughs> well, hey, hey, what works both ways. I was like looking, yep. like I said before, I was quietly like looking forward to this interview because I knew it was going to be a good one. And like just with all this stuff going on, I was like, okay, taking a little hour and a half break will be, will be pretty healthy, but, um, thanks for coming on and, um, take care. Thank you. You too.